obviously I wasn't going to read all that so, uh, during the uh, time this morning, but um, we'll kind of go on and uh, learn a few things as we go. We've been studying in uh, the book of Hebrews for the last little while. We're starting to come to a, conclusion, uh, to a conclusion in chapter 11, but we get to the point, at least now, where um, where there's real application for us based on all the things that we've learned so far. And so just to recap, we're reminded uh, quickly that the uh, in chapter 1 there that the Son uh, is the one who was sent, who by himself purged our sins and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And, and he is really the pinnacle of all things, and he's sitting there waiting now, it says, uh, till his enemies be made his footstool, so chapter 1 ends. And then uh, we realize, uh, moving on from there, that the those who have trusted Christ as their Savior have been brought into a great salvation, being made uh, sons. His intention was to bring many sons to glory. And as a, as a result of that, we discover that we need a little bit of training on the way. We're not just ready to go uh, to the, the great purposes that are, are before us, but, but being brought into uh, saving faith, he's set us on the path and provided all the tools for us. We find that we have a, a, a high priest that intercedes for us. We find that... Um, uh, we have an offering that was made once for all. We brought into a, um, a better covenant and so on. And as we concluded in chapter uh, 10 of Hebrews, the, the point was going to be that um, we are to go on and grow up and be perfected in the things that he has called us to in order to really be a witness for him in this world. And that is done, according to chapter 11, by faith. By faith. <clears throat> now, he quoted Habakkuk at the tail end of chapter 10, and he says, the just shall live by faith. Now, Habakkuk, who quoted the Lord, actually. Habakkuk lived in a time... When as he looked around him, he saw that all was not well in the world. Uh, in fact, uh, when he looked around, he saw, if you were to read Habakkuk chapter 2, he saw lawlessness, toil, plundering, violence, strife, contention, injustices, and perverse judgment. And there he was in the middle of it. And he had a couple of questions for the Lord. And the answer, in short, really, is uh, he that shall come, will come, and will not tarry. Actually, that's been modified a bit from Habakkuk's day. Habakkuk was looking for the it of the kingdom, whereas the writer here changes that to the he of the Christ. He of the, the king, really. And he says that uh, for their part, he was to continue on, and him, the justified, was to live a life by faith, trusting that the Lord's got it all well in hand. And, and we know this. We who have come to trust Christ for salvation believe that he's leading us uh, in victory. And as, as Drew read through this uh, 
portion, what the first thing that screams to us is the sheer volume and diversity of these people who walking on this earth, confessing their Lord, were able in good times and bad to work in such a way that their little lives painted a little portion of the of the big picture that God has painted. It's marvelous to think, and this is what encourages me so much when I come to Hebrews 11, is that in my little life, I really sometimes get discouraged. And I look around and I think, this isn't how it's supposed to be. It's not working out like I had thought it should. It seems like the scriptures command one thing and it's just not happening the way I, I would expect. And, and I wonder how, is there, am I doing something wrong? Well, it says the just shall live by faith. And despite not being able to see perhaps the front of the tapestry at all, or even how far my little thread reaches, uh, faith realizes that the author and finisher of it, in chapter 12, that where Drew finished there, is the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the end, I hope you can, can view down the road far enough to know that in the end, everything fits together. Every difficulty, every trial, every win or loss works together to the glory of God. And that's how it works. And this is what we find in... Hebrews 11 here. Now, uh, just going back to this verse I, I said a couple of times on Thursday, but chapter 10, verse 36, it should be known that it says here, you have need of endurance. So after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Endurance is something that the life of faith really demands, doesn't it? If anybody's ever run marathon or a distance of any kind. I've done it only once. I don't really enjoy it, but what keeps you going and getting you to the end is not thinking the many miles still to go, but just each next step. So you don't really think too far ahead. And over time, you can look back and see you've covered some distance. Really, that's how a marathon works. And this is the idea we want to think about, not to just to be discouraged, but uh, have endurance in our lives, and as was suggested back in uh, uh, chapter 6 and verse 12, <clears throat> again with this same thought in mind, that we are not to become sluggish, it says here, or lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience Inherit the promises. So in chapter 11, we'll just touch on a few of these, and I want to try and kind of group them together a little bit. Because we might not really face the exact thing that they did, yet what their lives stood for, what their tests stood for, we will face. And we can face it with faith. So um, so let's think about it here for a second. First of all, uh, you might wonder what faith is, and it begins to define it in verse 1. And it says that it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Faith, apparently, is something that has substance. It's something that is uh, visible. Things without substance are not, and things that have substance are visible. And therefore, I don't know if you ever met somebody and says, well, I have my own faith, and you know, my faith is very personal and all the rest of that. This is not the faith of the Bible. Faith of the, of the Bible is not just this ooze that is in me, and I feel good some days and not in other days, but faith in the Bible is in an object, and the object is our Lord, Jesus Christ. We are trusting Him. But the substance is what is seen in our lives because we trust Him. So, as you, as you look at your own life and you see others around you who profess faith in Christ, what, what you're seeing is the measure of their trust in Christ. Don't be discouraged at that. Right? Uh, but this, is, this is supposed to be a, a lesson of, of hope, of encouragement, and it will be as we go along here to the end. Um, so it's the evidence of things not seen, uh, uh, of the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And uh, it says in verse 3 there that it's by faith we understand things that are not otherwise known. By, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen... We're not made of things which are visible. And when we see the, the worlds, we, we understand that that term there is actually ages, eons, and it's, it's got more even than just the, you know, the planets and things out there, the universe. But it has actually everything, time and space, all of that considered here. And we, we understand that, that God is the author of all of it. We have to do that by faith. We're required to, and we trust that his word is true. So when we go back to the beginning, and it says, in the beginning, God made heavens and the earth. We, we are trusting that that is so. We know, of course, that the modern, uh, modern mind says that is not so. There is no God. Everything is here by accident. We don't know how it got here. Can't explain that one just yet, but... Uh, it somehow came from some kind of a, a beginning of some sort, not of God. Uh, we understand, those that walk by faith, that no, God actually did it. Now, as a result of that, uh, this next portion here, we want to see that what God is doing, what the Lord is doing with you and me and us together, is he's actually communicating to the world around us, to the people around us. And verses 4 to 7 really indicate to us that he's trying to speak. I've written down a few different ways that he sort of speaks here. Five or six, I think it is. But uh, first of all, God is able, through his people who walk in faith, testify what is right. Your lives 
of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ testify to others what is right. In the same way that Abel, Enoch, and Noah did. In Abel's case, Abel offered a sacrifice that was more acceptable than that of Cain, right? So Abel's action, based on what he knew of God, was that he can't just bring something that he grew out of a cursed ground. He had to bring something offered by blood. Now, a lot of people don't like the idea of, of a, a blood offering bringing, being brought to God, do they? They kind of feel like, hey, God should accept me just as I am, in, in the merits of the works of my hands. But Abel's life testified to the fact that, no, what God says is right is that the soul that sins must die. And that the way of access back to God is through blood. And it says here, notice in verse 4, it says, God testifying of his gifts, that through it he being dead still speaks. A marvelous thing is that, that though Abel has long since perished at the hands of the rest, the story has persisted. And God is still speaking about what is right, the one access way to God. So, he declares that. Enoch declared, well, if you were to read uh, the story of Enoch, he was basically a preacher in an ungodly society, and he, and he spoke about their ungodly deeds that they had ungodly committed, and and that they were going to face a judge. It says here of Enoch that God testified that what he was saying was true because he, he took him away without having seen death. God, so God is speaking to the world around. All of a sudden, Enoch's gone. Where, where did Enoch go? Well, I'm not sure. But you know what? He talked a lot of God. I wonder what's next. And so God testifying again through this one who walked in faith. Uh, it points out that, uh, that faith is a necessity to actually please God. Verse 6 says, Noah now, the test of, uh, what he testified was a little different in that he was testifying that something was coming that hadn't been seen yet. He trusted God and he acted upon his convictions, but the rest did not. And you notice what it says here, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Because he was fearful of God, of what was coming, it says he prepared an ark. We read elsewhere that he was a, a preacher of righteousness. He was declaring the righteousness of God. And at the same time, his message had a, a way of escape built into it. This is this great ship. And we know that only eight boarded that ship. But his actions was the means by which God would testify what was right to the people around. And so our lives of faith are the same, aren't they? Through the way we speak, act, and prepare, we testify to the world around us that he is coming soon to deal with the problem that all the rest of the world is looking at without hope. Through us, those who are walk, as we walk in faith, we testify to these 
uh, effects. And then uh, the second thing here is that uh, we are examples that God's promises can be trusted over the long haul. You know what it says there in Second Peter? It says, where is the promise of his coming? Right? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they are. And so the world around us is willingly ignorant of the fact that judgment's coming. But uh, as we continue and persist, this is often the thing uh, when somebody is saved. People watch to see if, they're, if they'll continue or if it was just a passing fad, right? So the one that walks on and on and on and on, still trusting, though he doesn't see, realize the promises, again, is the way the Lord is speaking to those around, but he's saying this, that he can be trusted over the long haul. So the example cited in verses uh, 8 and onwards, really, really down to verse 16, is this, Abraham, Abraham was called to a great inheritance, an inheritance that was future. And he followed the Lord. Uh, it says, too, of, uh, of, this in, of his walk there, Sarah also, she, in verse 11, it talks about her um, at old age. I think she was 90, 89, 90 zone. Uh, she received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child past the age. Because, and here it is, she judged him faithful who promised. Never wonder how much longer it's going to be? <laughs> I know, I do too. And the reality is that we must continue to judge him faithful who's promised. Despite the long, long, almost... It, it, Starts to become impossible. You know, you remember her in her tent. She laughed. Why did you laugh? Or why did Sarah laugh was the question. No, I didn't laugh. <laughs> well, her, her little doubt there was not enough to push anything off of its course, was it? Because they themselves would, would become ones who received the promise that had been given to them. Notice in verse uh, uh, 13. Um, Uh, sorry, verse 12, I guess it is. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Though it took a long time, faith waits on the Lord. Now, as you think back to Abraham's life, Abraham and Sarah, okay, you know as well as I do that it wasn't all as clean as we just read it here, was it? There was the incident of uh, Hagar, remember? I think God's maybe forgotten us. I, here, this is the way we'll do it. Do you recall? And so Ishmael was born. Their patience, in reality, was only so long. But in the eternal records, they were ones marked by faith. And, and this gives me great encouragement, too. That despite the ups and downs of my life of faith, the things that are remembered and the things that point to the Lord are the things that, that demonstrate my trust in Him. And the rest don't make it in the list here, of course. Um, 
They died in faith, in faith, says verse 13, not having received the promises, but seeing them afar off. As they walk with the Lord, they see clearer and clearer what he's doing. Do you find that that happens? The longer you're a Christian, the more you read his word and you see what's going on around you, the more convinced of what he says is true. And it helps in following closer, doesn't it? Um, they, they, in fact, were looking for something. Notice verse 16. I think this is lovely here. It says, they, they desire better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham, uh, just a few verses earlier, it said that he, was, he carried on looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And he was looking for something that wasn't of his own doing, because God promised he would do it. And he waited and he waited, and we're waiting still for that city, and we read about it at the end, this beautiful city, this heavenly Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven pure and spotless. Well, the next thing we see, not only can God be trusted over the, the long haul, but we see that the trials of individuals put together, tell the story of redemption. And the next group here is verse 17 to 22, and there's four listed, Abraham, <clears throat> Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And these four are grabbed and kind of clustered together here. Uh, not that they didn't do other things that were of faith, but as each little thing that they came to is put together. We see the uh, sort of the picture of God's big plan. That's one of the amazing things as you look at the Old Testament. You see that in the lives of, of the people that followed the Lord, um, you see traces of his really big plan. And it's, it's marvelous, really. It's the first one, Abraham, it says, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. In, in this, we get a picture of the only begotten son raised from the dead. Now, Abraham didn't know how the day was going to turn out, except that God was going to deal with it. And so he willingly went, after a long life of preparation for this, he willingly went and offered up his one and only son, the most precious thing, to him. And in so doing, God takes his faith and he puts it on the tapestry of God's big plan. For people to see. Isaac, um, next person in verse uh, 20 is Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. This is lovely here. You remember the story. Isaac uh, was old and his eyes were dim. He couldn't see very well. But he had a sense that the Lord was going to do something. And he wanted to to evidence this by blessing his sons. And if you recall, one son comes, uh, or well, one son is sent out to the field, and the other son comes in, and he's disguised, isn't he? Jacob is disguised in, as Esau. And the, the blessing that comes to him, he says, oh, I, I smell, that's my son Esau. He smells like a field. I can tell who you are. And so this one comes in, and and he's in disguise. And 
the blessing is this, that people would serve this son. Nations, in fact, would bow down, and he would be master over his brethren. In that order comes the blessing. So, first of all, the people are going to serve him. Nations will bow down to him, and then he'll be master over his brothers. He would be the dividing point between blessings and cursing, this one, who came in disguise. Uh, the other son comes back, of course, and his blessing's a little different. He's pretty upset about the whole thing. As a matter of fact, it says in Genesis 27:41 that Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing that comes to him. And it's this, that he'll live by the sword and serve his brother, but when he becomes restless, he'll break his brother's yoke from him. You recall the words, we will not have this one to reign over him. So it spoke, this blessing spoke of things to come, of how there would be a, a, a nation that would reject reject the younger brother, the one who was, so to speak, in disguise, but who came and would, would rule over the rest. What's interesting to note is that uh, by faith, Isaac offered these blessings, even though... His intention was to put them the other way around. You see, God allowed him to be blinded in the end, and in that blindness was able to straighten them out so that they told of future things. You ever think that you got something backwards in your life? Don't be so sure. Those that walk and live by faith, the Lord is going to make it work out so that he gets the glory in the end. Same as could be said of uh, Jacob here. you notice verse 21, Jacob, when he was dying, it says, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. This is a little picture of uh, the church to come, I think, I could say. And uh, the interesting part about this is as you trace Jacob's life, boy, there's not too much of faith really there, is there? He's a bit of a trickster and a shyster, and it really comes down to these last dying moments. In fact, the first 130 years, he explained to Pharaoh, he said, few and evil have been the days of my life. But these last 17 years that he spent with his, his son Joseph again, his tune has changed. And he gives the Lord credit there uh, for having led him and fed him and cared for him all the way. And so he equally blesses these two, these two sons of Joseph who was separated from his brothers. But the, the second one is given the prominent place, just like in the church. So uh, the mutual blessing of the Jew and Gentile, but as we know, the churches tends to be predominantly Gentile, those that heard second. And, uh, and then finally we see by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure. So he looks down the road, even past that again, and he says, I know we're in bondage, uh, you'll be in bondage, but I want you to know that you'll be back in the land. And he gives commandment concerning his bones. So these ones all, their, their little act of faith was trusting in God's big plan and communicating that so that others could hold on as they go. Well, Faith also keeps the people of God in the face of evil. And this is really verses uh, 23 to 29. I hope that in the face of evil you hold on like this. Um, we see that, first of all, faith fears God over earthly commandments. We get commanded a lot of things by, the, by those that uh, have 
control down here. But uh, faith, it says, of those that looked after this child Moses, uh, hid him. It says they weren't afraid of the king's command. They were going to trust in the Lord, despite what the earthly king said. You know, there are times when we're called to do this as well. Knowing what God's command says and holding on to that is going to be uh, a pivotal or a key part of walking in faith in, in our modern world, as it has been all along. Secondly, we see that um, faith chooses to suffer with God's people than to enjoy all that this world has to offer. Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, it says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He, he could look down the road and he could see that there's more to come. And I don't want anything of this world uh, devising. He had, it says, respect unto the recompense of the reward. The size of what God had prepared for him was too great to be compared to these little baubles that we have around us. And so faith chooses to suffer with God's people. Um, faith, it says, uh, sees the invisible Christ. He endured as seeing him who is invisible, it says. Faith trusts in the shed and sprinkled blood. For with it, without it, he too would have perished. That's verse 28. He kept the Passover. He remembered what had happened continually. Uh, and then faith, it says, walks on solid ground where the enemy cannot. Isn't it nice to know that in a, an unstable world, we walk on, on solid ground. And so faith keeps the child of God in the face of evil. And then uh, the next one here, our lives evidence faith in the Lord because we offer the gospel freely to everyone. Because we know that any are able to come to him by faith. And verses 30 and 31 are a marvelous contrast. You see the walls of Jericho falling down after they were encircled seven days. But in the midst of that, there was a woman she was forever known in the New Testament as a harlot, Rahab the harlot. And she's, uh, uh, she does not perish because she trusted in the little threads. You remember that little scarlet cord that was hung out the window. She recognized that judgment was coming. She recognized that judgment was deserved. That it was the work of God who was going to... She had seen it before. They had heard of what happened to the Egyptians. And she knew it was only a matter of time. Is there any way of it? And so she comes to the Lord through uh, this, this nation, the Jews that were coming, and she's able to ascertain from them the, the means out. She's able to have this, this scarlet cord in her possession, by which as she displays it in her window, Escapes, and so we we too recognize that people can find a way out from the judgment which is which is to come, and so we freely offer the gospel. Still, that's what we do by faith as our lives press on. Verse thirty-two goes on, and it, and it says, really the the short answer, the short 
synopsis of this is if I were to go through the whole of the Old Testament, I would time would fail me to explain all of these things, but all of the people that though they were weak, they were able to demonstrate faith. And some of them in a very strange kind of a way. He noticed uh, it'd be worth going home and taking a look at some of these. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. Four of the judges are mentioned there in verse uh, 32. And uh, you notice they appear in a little different order than they actually appear in the Old Testament. <clears throat> but we find out that from these four, at least, the Gideon, he was the least, he said. There's none in all of his tribe that were less than him. Barak, he was... He was one who was a doubter, of course. He wouldn't trust the the word of the prophetess, but uh, wouldn't go unless she went with him. Samson, he had an issue with his flesh. Uh, Jephthah, he's noted as being the son of a harlot. The son of a harlot. He was rejected by his brothers. And he spent some time away from his brothers until his brothers needed him to come and rescue them. He shows up and he rescues them. And and let's just turn there for a second. It's uh, Judges 12. It's kind of an interesting point. Uh, Judges 11, I'm sorry. Jephthah here, he says, uh, in verse 30, as he's going into battle over this dis- this land dispute, by the way, he says in verse 30, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hand, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. I I don't know (coughs) what all Jephthah had living in his house. When I was in Ireland, of course, they had some of these little cottages and animals lived in the house with the people. I I like to think that that's what he was expecting to happen that day. But uh, the shocking thing after the victory was complete in verse 34, says, when Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, uh, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. And she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. It came to pass when he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord... Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Um, Verse 39 says, it was at the end of the two months, uh, she returned to her father and he carried out his vow uh, with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man and it became a custom in Israel. Strange, isn't it? You know, time wouldn't allow to go through all of the stories that are tucked away here. But each of these stories indicates God's big plan. The person who's willing to walk by faith and trust in the Lord to go 
into the battle for him. He doesn't necessarily know all of the details. But with this, what a surprise it was that his daughter was who he was going to be needing to offer as a burnt offering. And uh, do you notice how willingly she accepts that? This points to us, doesn't it, down the road. The Lord is able to, to weave into his tapestry things that we say and do, but as we honor him and the fact that he has done great things for us, he's able to demonstrate, even in these strange stories, that he is going to give up something precious too. I suppose, properly speaking, uh, this little story looks ahead to to that city of Jerusalem that will be burned one day to come. Uh, it's a city that's not really spotless. It's a, it's a city that's got a lot of issues. Uh, but the replacement of it is pure and spotless. But what makes that possible is the fact that one who really was pure and spotless, the Lord Jesus Christ, went into fulfill the Father's vow. The thing most precious, the thing that rejoiced at his victories. The Lord Jesus, ever submissive and willing to take this low place if it meant deliverance to others. I'll tell you what, faith is able to, what, what faith really is, is allowing us to allow the Lord, the author and finisher of our faith, to tell his story through our lives. Well, how is your life? Find it hard? Are there things in there that you don't want there, you don't like there? Maybe things that you're own doing? Maybe like Jacob, really you've been... You've kind of been against God the whole time. Maybe like Joseph, you've been uh, for him the whole time, but you've been under load the whole time. Maybe you've, you've heard of this promise and waiting is becoming art. Well, it says in verse 12, Verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So there, there we read where he, where chapter 1 leaves off. He's sitting there waiting. You know, after the rapture, we sometimes look to the rapture as the big ending, don't we? It's, that's not really true, though. After the rapture, he'll still be sitting and waiting, I hope you realize, until his enemies be made his footstool. There's still some to come. And what it says here is that all those in the Old Testament here, though they received little promises and rewards along the way, there's some big promise still to come. And the reason they can't have it yet is because it includes us. <laughs> That's what it says in verse 39. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God have provided 
something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. I don't know how hard your life is, or what difficulty you've faced, or what problem you've caused, or what you've got mixed up. But I do know this, that you are among a great company of people just like you, who in a day coming will surround a throne. And around that throne, they will bow, and one sitting on the throne will receive honor and glory. And we'll look at that finished work, and we'll see in it the Lord Jesus Christ, who has done all things well. I trust it encourages you to keep going, to to hold on, to remain close to Him, lay things aside that stumble us along the way, but trusting that He'll work it out as we walk in faith. This is bound for the prayer.